Jakob Ingebrigtsen is going to do in the 1500. He has time to look behind him. 20 years of age, and he is on top of the world. But coming down for a maiden national crowd, Cornwall is the champion. Garouz has won his race, or has he? Has he got anything left? El Garouz trying to get there. Kipchoge, the junior, is there. El Garouz is trying to get to the line. Kenya wins it. Kipchoge takes Vivian Chariot's turn. And what a proud moment for her and the Kenyans. The first woman from her nation to take the 5,000 metre title. Vivian Chariot's in Greenland. On the outside, Ollie Hall of Australia comes. Jake Whiteman has just spent. It's going to be Chariot and Hall. Who's going to get it? It's going to be Australia! The gold! Before we get into it, a quick word from the sponsor of this episode. Stability has never felt better than with the ASICS Gel Keanu 30 shoe. Updated with a 4D guidance system for support right when you need it, Pure Gel technology for softer landings every time, and FF Blast Plus Eco Cushioning for an even more comfortable ride. Billo Saunders is a well-known name in Australian elite running. A 341-1500m runner, Billow holds the Australian record for the 40 to 45 year old age category over 1500 metres with an amazing 3.45. Billow is a senior sports physiologist at the Australian Sports Commission and also is one of Australia's best coaches. Under his tutelage include stars like Jared Clifford, Michael Roger, and Dion Kenzie. We caught up with Billow for a quick chat and recapped the recent para world champs, dived into training, injuries and heaps more. Philo, uh been a while, been meaning to have you on the podcast for ages. How are you going? Good, Sam. Thanks for having me. Yeah. What's news? You're back in Canberra, obviously, post-world champs. Yep, back in Canberra. So, yeah, good good campaign away. So, um, just back from Paris for the Para Worlds, um, where we had some good results. And, yeah, good block of training before that in Flagstaff. So, yeah, it was good. Uh- Let's have a bit of a recap. Obviously, you had uh, your two big, two big, um, you know, you know, very well-known athletes at, at World Champs. They both have had challenging kind of, um, you know, injury stuff, but are very fit and ran very well. Uh, let's just run through. Let's start with Jared um, first. Yep. So Jared um, was entered in the five thousand and the fifteen hundred um, at World Champs. Um, back after a lower leg stress fracture, like within the last 12 months or so, but was in the best shape he's been in, had some good domestic races, I think around 3.42, a bunch of times, sort of around 14.10 for 5K, um, and was, yeah, he was ready to go. Um, sort of halfway through flag, he got a little bit sore, ended up having a another stress fracture in his femur, which definitely impacted his results, but he still came out with a silver medal. Um, slow tactical race came down to sort of the last 200 between him and um, the Spaniard who beat him in Tokyo. And um, Jared made hard move 200 to go, probably a bit of a panic move just where he was with the injury. And um, the Spaniard beat him pretty comfortably in the last hundred, but silver medal is still awesome result, um, especially with the last few weeks he had in the lead in. So um yeah and then he obviously pulled out of the 1500 due to the injury and let's run through the injury quickly yep so he had stress fracture in his um shaft of his femur um 
probably upper portion, but not too high. Um, yeah, yeah, an MRI, X-ray, um, and CT scan over in um, Montpellier where we had our staging camp. We had the medical support there and, um, yeah, showed obviously it was more than just a stress reaction. Obviously, had gone into the um, the cortex of the bone. So, um yeah, it was sort of weighing up whether it was worth running or not or whether he's, like, risk snapping his femur in the process. And I suppose the decision we came to was he had enough rest and the risk was minimal that he was going to cause more damage. So basically he just ran the one race. He thought the 5K was his best chance with what he missed. Obviously the 15 was going to be tougher with the amount of speed work and just that sort of pop that he'd sort of missed in the last period. But... Um, just sort of backed himself to still be able to win a gold medal on the 5K. And is, how, has he had many stresses before? These are his first two injuries really ever. Um, yeah. Was he pushing it, you know, was he kind of um, just pushing the training, you know, trying to get that little bit extra in before Worlds or, or was it just one? I don't of think so. And uh, we were quite conservative in our rebuild and probably even was thinking he could do more, like thinking he's probably – fully recovered and ready to go. Um, so I, I don't think we were pushing it. Obviously, you get into a training camp environment with some of the the best guys and maybe you're going a little bit harder in there. Like maybe we did a little bit more in the lead-up than he was ready for, but nothing that he's never done before. Um, so, yeah, you always review what went in and what could have caused it. Um, but until something like that happens, like at the time, I wouldn't have thought we were pushing the issue at all. Like, I think we were pretty confident where he was. And I presume he's having six or seven weeks in the pool now and then the build-up to next year will begin. Yep, build-up's probably already started now. So he's already had a period off. We didn't really cross-train, just use it as a time just to refresh physically and mentally after the big build. So he spent a bit of time travelling afterwards. Um, I actually just caught up with him in. Melbourne on Friday, we had a bit of a review with the team and, um, yeah, he's starting the run rebuild as we speak. So, um, yeah. Let's move on to Rose. He, he, he dropped a, I think it was a 344 in Portland for over 1500. And he's obviously had his own share of, of, you know, niggle of, um, bone, bony kind of stress reactions and that sort of stuff. So let's go through Rogues as well, champs, his injuries and, um, and how he's going now. Yep. So obviously Tokyo Rogues was running the marathon. Um, he sort of built from there since Rio. Um, that was the event he was focused on winning gold on. Um, we thought it was almost a shoe-in gold medal the way he's running. He'd run 218. I reckon the next guy in his class was maybe 225. But he yeah, he got a stress, stress fracture in his um, lower leg in the lead-up. Probably a longer time before the race than Jared and battled hard physically and mentally to try to get himself to the start line, but his body just gave way during the marathon. And um, I think he ended up coming fifth, um, which was pretty shattering for him. And then even more devastating was the World Para decided to get rid of the T46 marathon as a Paralympic event. So for Rogues to win that elusive Paralympic gold, he had to transition back to the 1500 meters. Um, so, yeah, we um, pretty much stripped it back to 
square one for Oak. So we went back to zero running. Um, we tried to get on top of a few niggles that he'd had ongoing as a marathon runner, uh, spe- probably specifically a high um, hamstring um, tendinopathy that he'd been carrying. So our goal was to get that as strong as we could in the gym and then sort of rebuild the running to what he needed to be a gold medal, so the 1500. Um, obviously, he had super good base from the marathon running. We wanted to focus on being strong, uh, fast, elastic, all those things that go into being a good 1,500-metre runner. And I, I think we we got to Worlds ahead of schedule. I think Rogues was pretty disappointed he didn't win a gold medal, but to think he was going to run a PB after being out of 1,500-metre runner for five years and run a 3.44, I think the gold medal became real because he got into that sort of shape so quickly. Um, so, yeah, he ran awesome. He um, executed our plan. He basically sat in for the first lap and then just tried to break the field from the front, running 60-second laps, which he did. Um, he got a bit unlucky. I think the Bulgarian guy who beat him, everything went in his favour. He nearly got broken. He got a bit of a sit behind a Kenyan guy who sort of went out with rogues but didn't. With a lap to go, you would have thought Rogues had the gold, but 200 to go, the Bulgarian got a sniff and just got past him. Um, but I think just with the lead up, the 344, you ran another 348 in Watford and windy conditions. And I think you take that 68 second first lap, you probably would have time trialed a 347 in quite windy conditions in Paris. So I think when you reflect with Rogues, we've got to a position where we can win a gold medal next year. And um, yeah, it's pretty exciting, I think. And his body is probably the best it's been for a long time. So similar with Jared, he's not gone to square one, but he's just taken a bit of time off to, um, yeah, get over the world and then just get ready for the next one, which is the big one next year. How how self-motivated are Rogues and, and Jared? I mean, I know social media is, you know, half fake and there's a lot of shit on there, but... But they seem from the outside world to just be these two guys who would just have constant energy and, and motivation, who never get down and out, never get depressed. I mean, what, what's the reality as a, from a coach's perspective? Yeah, no, they're definitely super motivated guys and are so driven to be the best that they can be. Um, both of them in their own way, holding them back can be the key. Like, um, obviously especially someone like Rogues will do whatever you give him and more. Like he wants to be the best athlete he can be. And he's used to hard work. He's used to pushing his body and wanting to be better every day. So sometimes it's sort of almost going backwards is the way you have to go forwards. Like, um, yeah, no, but both super motivated guys, both enjoy pushing themselves to the limit and both are so high achieving. They want to be, represent Australia the highest level. They want to win gold medals. They want to break world records and they want to bring para sport to the highest level in, in world sport. Um, and they've both done a great job in doing that. So, um, but I know like with all their achievements, the one thing missing for both of them is a gold medal for Paralympics. So next year is going to be pretty important just to make sure that we can get, I think both of them, we know we can get to the gold medal position. Like they've shown it time and time again in races and able body races um, and at world championships, but injuries probably for both of them have 
come at the wrong times um, at different different stages. So I think the key is not to try to be better than you've been. Like the best you've been is going to be good enough. It's just getting there in the right physical, mental state to, to compete. So I think we're close and I think I'm pretty confident they'll both win golds next year. Well, that would be amazing to see, mate. I hope I hope you're right there. Um, how how important? I mean, you guys go, I think, to Perisher a bit. Hey, when um, during the Australian summer, but um, also Flagstaff. You're a big fan, obviously, of these high altitude camps. Yeah, I think they're critical. Like I've been, yeah, I've been using altitude um, back in my PhD days with Dick Telford and. As an athlete, I know how I feel after a good altitude training camp. I know how I compete and train afterwards. And just from what I've seen with my athletes too. So, yeah, I think twice a year minimum is sort of what you need to maximise the benefits from altitude. So, yeah, like I said, we try to get to Perisher in the domestic summer um, once once or twice. And then we always try to get up to um, Flagstaff when we can. So, I think it was four years since we've been like with COVID and everything. So um, yeah. And seeing how, how the athletes prepared, like, and we haven't talked about Dion Kenzie either. Another one of my athletes who was just out of the medal, but he got into some pretty awesome shape up at Flagstaff. Angus Hinksman, another guy who trains with Simon Moran in Adelaide, got a bronze medal on his first world champs team. He done two or three perisher camps with us and came up to Flagstaff for the first time. So um and I remember Dion and Jared in their early days, I think they were critical camps in their their sort of build along the way. So yeah, part of my um training training structure to get up to altitude and um yeah, they're the go-to places for, for us. Do you um do you get do you get any of the athletes sleeping in kind of altitude tents when they're back at home or or not so much? No, nah, no, nah, not at all. Oh. Yeah. Nice, um, I've done leaf high train on in the past. We've had altitude houses in Canberra and like that can be effective. But I think particularly for the middle distance events, there's something about the training at those moderate to high altitudes. Um, some of the anaerobic adaptations you get, um, just that feeling when you come down. So, um, yeah, leaf high train load's got its place. But I think if I've got the option to train at altitude, I usually use that. I always will use that. Phil, are you um I saw on um just chatting to some people and on social media that you've been completing track sessions with the squad. And I mean, I saw a photo of you with your shirt off and it looked like you were in your 25 still, like with zero body fat. So what's going on? How fit are you? Uh, are you are you still kind of sub 350 shape or what? Um, yeah, no, I'm a good shape. Um, yeah, had a bit of time off in when was it? 2022. Did a bit of traveling around Australia. Got to your great country in WA. Um, didn't run for a bit, but since then I've been, yeah, slowly building back into some of the best shape I've been in for a while. Um, haven't really shown it in the race. I think around a 359 in Portland, I ju- jumped in the 1500 there with the boys. Um, but I think the way I've been training, like sub 350, is definitely probably where I'm at. Um, yeah, like I'm training as well as better than guys who ran well under 350 this year. So, um, yeah, but I'm pretty happy with that. I always like that. I push the boys in training and you just feel feel good when you can train at that level when you've been doing it for so long. So, yeah, right. probably 100Ks a week, thereabouts, 100, 110Ks a week with three good sessions. So, 
Yeah, no, back feeling good again. I remember back in, uh, I think it was 220, and you you told me that you had broken 350 over 1,500, 127 times at that point. Do you know what the number is now? Yeah, probably about the same, maybe one yeah. more. Yeah. I haven't done it for a while. I think the last time I broke 350 was maybe 2018. So... Um, and just for those listening, just I, you clocked the three forty five at what age? Can you remind me? Was it like forty one or forty two? Yeah. yeah, about forty one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, holy shit! Is that that's the Australian record, right, for the forty to forty five year old yeah. group? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Did, I think I made my last Australian final when I was forty back in two seventeen. Yeah. The just quickly, the, when you were 41 and you dropped that 345, what were you doing anything different than when you were, you know, 25, 26? Um, were you spending a whole lot more time in the gym, you know, working on your body, or was it just same, same? I think one of the keys has just been consistent. Like I've never really dropped off my top speed, never really dropped off on the strength conditioning, um, never had a lot of time off. So I think... I think keeping those things at a high level. And I, yeah, I think when I was running around 345, I was probably doing sessions exactly the same as when, or even better than when I was running 341. So maybe in the right race, I would have run a bit quicker. Um, so, yeah, I think consistency is probably the big thing. But, yeah, a lot of S&C and a lot of, a lot of speed work, I think, maybe. Like, I don't think I've ever... I reckon I'd run 200 metres almost as fast now as I would when I was early 20s. Um, and is that like you're working on your speed work a lot more now in, in your mid-40s or whatever compared to, you know, when you're in your early 20s? Or, yeah. Maybe a bit more specific speed development work, like like stuff like, like raw speed development over 30 metres, 60 metres, 90 metres, that type of thing. Um maybe a bit more focus on like like strength and power in the gym um rather than just i suppose having naturally speed and doing like yeah a fast 200 at the end of the session or some fast 300s like a bit more specific speed development maybe yeah and obviously um you're a big fan of the gym can we just quickly go through that so are you are you lifting are you lifting heavy weights and doing like low numbers of reps uh, or are you doing kind of both? Um, both as in, I don't ever do high number of reps just for endurance. So yeah, high high weight, high reps definitely um, for the strength. Yeah. Um, lower weights and like specific lifts for power. So clean snatches, push press, those type of things. Um, still like activation drills, plyometrics in the program. Um, specific sort of single leg symmetry symmetry stuff on the hammies um a lot of work on the like the posterior chain which is what produces the force and power of running so um yeah probably a well-balanced program so working on drills plyos speed power strength but yeah i've got about a squat 140 kilos four sets of five man that's awesome and are you are you the one setting this for your squad? Like, are you obviously you're a switch on guy? Are you the one setting this strength program, or do you have a you know a strength and conditioning person that takes care of that? A bit of both. So, like, uh, for all the guys in Canberra, I'll set the gym program, and I, obviously, I'll liaise with 
people here. Like I work pretty closely with the with the physiotherapist here, who who pretty much comes to most of our gym sessions. So depending on where an athlete is, we'll work on different things in the gym. So um, yeah, but I set the program. I try to learn as much as I can over time from people in the field. Um, got my level two strength conditioning qualification. So yeah. I said it, but then for someone like Jared, who's in Melbourne, um, he works in with the VIS S&C, and I just felt that's a better fit. They're there for every session. They can sort of modify things on the fly, and I've been down several times to to go through the program and maybe make some modifications here and there. Um, yeah, so a bit of both. And is it twice a week that is it, you know, how, how many times a week are they doing these programs, uh, the gym sessions? Yeah, twice a week. Um for Jared and Rose, when they're sort of working on a specific building phase, that's probably three times. So when we we're trying to get Rose's hammies really strong, we were doing three sessions a week in the gym because we had a specific purpose. But generally, it'll be twice, twice a week. Usually Monday, Friday, but sometimes Monday, Wednesday. If we sort of got a race on Saturday, we, um, yeah, nice. two, two is sort of the minimum. And you got to get up there, sorry. Probably three, I'd say, because on Monday, like our specific speed development, we'll have a lot of drills and pliers in in the in the warm up. So I suppose you could say three. Gotcha. That's quite a lot. Hey, it's all it's cool. Yeah. Um, are we going to see you out this summer racing? I think so. Yeah. See right. if it's just fifteen hundred or a few other distances. So yeah, but I think I'll jump out in a few races. Nice. Oh, cool, mate. Well, we're going to keep it short and sweet. The idea is just to, you know, have it a good length for people's kind of um, recovery runs or, you know, second run of the day. And uh, it was great great chatting to you. Good luck leading into, obviously, the Olympics next year with the squad. And I hope to see them get those elusive gold medals that they both deserve so badly. Yeah, no, it'd be awesome. And um, I suppose the other thing with it, the team's gone from probably Jared Rogues and... um, on to we had seven at para worlds this year so yeah. um really starting to increase the, the breadth and depth of um distance running in the para stream so that was really good this oh, year yeah. a couple of new people on the team it's insane what you've achieved and, and just you know are they or i know jared spends a lot of time in melbourne but all seven of them are they all kind of spending a lot of time in canberra or are they dispersed around the country how where are they all at um yeah, so most of them, so I coach obviously Rogues, Jared, Dion directly. Um, then there's Angus who's done a lot with us. So Simon coaches him and Simon was over there, which was great for the final period. Um, so he's done a lot with us. Reese is in Melbourne now, but used to train with me in the squad and um, yeah, did a bit with him in the staging camp. And then we've got a couple of new people. So Dan Malone, who trains with Gavin Burren um, in Melbourne. So he's a T20 um, intellectually disabled runner. Um, awesome kid, brought a lot of energy to the group and a lot of ability too. And then Annabelle Coleman, another T20 female runner, who's coached by Anthony DiCostello and um, Liz Gosper in Melbourne as well. And both of those guys have done a couple of camps in Canberra where they sort of jumped in with the squad and um, – yeah, so I suppose finger in with everyone and try to work with the coaches who um, are still coaching those other athletes. Mate, that's awesome. Uh, mate, inspirational chatting to you. Um, it's amazing how quick you're still running and what you've done with your squad and catch you soon. 
Yep. Thanks, Sam. Thank you.